Volume 2, Book 6, Chapters 31 through 43 of The Life of Apollonius of Tyana. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Life of Apollonius of Tyana by Flavius Philostratus. Translated by F. C. Coneybear. Volume 2, Book 6. Chapter 31. And for myself, O man of Tyana, answered Titus, can you give me any precepts as to how to rule and exercise the authority of a sovereign? Only such rules, replied the other, as you have laid upon yourself, for in so submitting yourself to your father's will, it is, I think, certain that you will grow like him, and I would like to repeat to you on this occasion a saying of Archytas, which is a noble one and worth committing to memory. Archytas was a man of Tarentum, who was learned in the lore of Pythagoras, and he wrote a treatise on the education of children, in which he says, Let the father be an example of virtue to his children, for fathers also will the more resolutely walk in the path of virtue, because their children are coming to resemble them. But for myself, I propose to associate with you my own companion, Demetrius, who will attend you as much as you like, and instruct you in the whole duty of a good leader. And what sort of wisdom, O Apollonius, does this person possess? Courage, he replied, to speak the truth unabashed by anyone, for he possesses the constancy and strength of character of a cynic and as Titus did not seem very pleased to hear the name of a dog, he continued, and yet in Homer, Telemachus, when he was young, required, it appears, two dogs, and the poet sends these to accompany the youth to the marketplace of Ithaca, in spite of their being irrational animals, but you will have a dog to accompany you, who will bark in your behalf, not only at other people, but at yourself, in case you go wrong and he will bark with all wisely and never irrationally. Well, said the other, give me your dog to accompany me, and I will even let him bite me in case he feels I am committing injustice. I will write to him a letter, for he teaches philosophy in Rome. Pray do so, said Titus, and I wish I could get someone to write to you in my behalf and induce you to share with me my journey to Rome. I will come there, said the other, whenever it is best for both of us. Chapter 32 Then Titus dismissed the company, and said, Now that we are alone, O man of Tyana, you will allow me, perhaps, to ask you a question upon matters of grave importance to myself. Pray, do so, said the other, and do so all the more readily, because the matter is so important. It is about my own life, said the other, and I would fain know whom I ought most to be on my guard against. That is my question, and I hope you will not think me cowardly for already being anxious about it. Nay, you are only cautious, said the other, and circumspect for a man ought to be more careful about this than about anything else. 
and glancing at the sun he swore by that god that he had himself intended to address titus about this matter even if he had not asked him for he said the gods have told me to warn you so long as your father is alive to be on your guard against his bitterest enemies but after his death against your own kith and kin and said titus in what way am i to die in the same way said the other as odysseus is said to have died for they say that he too met with his death by the sea damis interprets the above utterance as follows namely that he was to be on his guard against the cusp of the fish called the trigon with which they say odysseus was wounded anyhow after he had occupied the throne for two years in succession to his father he died through eating the fish called the sea hare and this fish according to damis causes secret humours in the body worse and more fatal than anything else either in the sea or on land and nero he says introduced this sea hare in his dishes to poison his worst enemies and so did domitian in order to remove his brother titus not because he objected to sharing his throne with his brother but to sharing it with one who was both gentle and good such was their conversation in private after which they embraced one another in public and as titus departed apollonius greeted him with these last words pray you my king overcome your enemies by your arms but your father by your virtues chapter thirty three but the letter to demetrius ran as follows apollonius the philosopher sends greetings to demetrius the cynic i have made a present of you to the emperor titus that you may instruct him how to behave as a sovereign and take care that you confirm the truth of my words to him and make yourself anger apart everything to him farewell chapter thirty four now the inhabitants of tarsus had previously detested apollonius because of the violent reproaches which he addressed to them owing to the fact that through their languid indifference and sensual indolence they could not put up with the vigour of his remarks but on this occasion they became such devoted admirers of our hero as to regard him as their second founder and the mainstay of their city for on one occasion the emperor was offering a sacrifice in public when the whole body of citizens met and presented a petition to him asking for certain great favours and he replied that he would mention the matter to his father and be himself their ambassador to procure them what they wanted whereupon apollonius stepped forward and said supposing i convicted some who are standing here of being your own and your father's enemies and of having sent legates to jerusalem to excite a rebellion and of being secret allies of your most open enemies what would happen to them why what else said the emperor than instant death then is it not disgraceful replied apollonius that you should be instant in demanding their punishment and yet dilatory in conferring a boon 
and be ready yourself to undertake the punishment, but reserve the benefaction until you can see and consult your father? But the king, over-delighted with this remark, said, I grant the favors they ask for, for my father will not be annoyed at my yielding to truth and to yourself. Chapter 35 so many were the races which they say Apollonius had visited until then, eager and zealous for others as they for him. But his subsequent journeys abroad, though they were numerous, were yet not so many as before, nor did he go to fresh districts, which he was not already acquainted with. For when he came down from Ethiopia, he made a long stay on the seaboard of Egypt, and then he returned to Phoenicia and Cilicia, and to Ionia, and Isatza, and Italy, never failing anywhere to show himself the same as ever. For, hard as it is to know oneself, I myself consider it still harder for the sage to remain always himself, for he cannot ever reform evil natures and improve them, unless he has first trained himself never to alter in his own person. Now about these matters, I have discoursed at length in other treatises, and shown those of my readers who were careful and hard students, that a man who is really a man will never alter his nature, nor become a slave. But lest I should unduly prolong this work, by giving a minute account of the several teachings which he addressed to individuals, and lest, on the other hand, I should skip over any important chapter of a life, which I am taking so much pains to transmit to those who never knew Apollonius, I think it time to record more important incidents and matters which will repay the remembering, for we must consider that such episodes are comparable to the visits to mankind paid by the sons of Aesculapius. Chapter 36 There was a youth who, without having any education of his own, undertook to educate birds, which he kept in his home, to make them clever. And he taught them to talk like human beings, and to whistle tunes like flute-players. Apollonius met him, and asked, How are you occupying yourself? And when he replied, and told him all about his nightingales and his blackbirds, and how he trained the tongues of stone curlews, as he had himself a very uneducated accent, Apollonius said, I think you are spoiling the accents of the birds, in the first place because you don't let them utter their own notes, which are so sweet that not even the best musical instruments could rival or imitate them, and in the second place because you yourself talk the vilest Greek dialects and are only teaching them to stutter like yourself. And what is more, my good youth, you are also wasting your own substance. For when I look at all your hangers-on, and at your get-up, I should say that you are a delicately bred and somewhat wealthy man. But sycophants squeeze people like yourself, at the same time that they shoot out their tongues at them like so many goads. And what will be the use to you of all this bird-fancing, when the time comes? For if you collected all the songbirds in the world, it would not help you to shake off these parasites that cling to you and oppress you. Nay, you are forced to shower your wealth upon them, 
and cast your gold before them, as you scatter titbits before dogs, and to stop their barking you must give again and again, until at last you will find yourself reduced to hunger and to poverty. What you want is some splendid diversion, which will instantly make some alteration in your character. Otherwise, you will wake up one day, and find that you have been plucked of your wealth as if it were plumage, and that you are a fitter subject to excite the birds to lament than to sing. The remedy you need to effect such a change is not a very great one, for there is in all these cities a class of men whose acquaintance you have never made, but who are called schoolmasters. You give them a little of your substance, with the certainty of getting it back with interest, for they will teach you the rhetoric of the forum, and it is not a difficult art to acquire. I may add that, if I had known you as a child, and come across you then, I should have advised you assiduously to attend at the doors of the philosophers and sophists, so as to be able to hedge round your habitation with a wider learning. But, since it is too late for you to manage that, at any rate, learn to plead for yourself. For remember, if you had acquired a more complete training and education, you would have resembled a man who is heavy-armed and therefore formidable. Yet, if you thoroughly learn this branch, you will at any rate be equipped like a light-armed soldier or a slinger, for you will be able to fling words at your syncophants as you would stones at dogs. The young man took to heart this advice, and he gave up wasting his time over birds, and betook himself to school, much to the improvement both of his judgment and of his tongue. Chapter 37 Two stories are told in Sardis. One, that the river Pactolus used to bring down gold dust to Croesus, and the other, that trees are older than earth. The former story, Apollonius said, he accepted, because it was probable, for that there had once been a sand of gold on Mount Molus, and that the showers of rain had swept it down into the river Pactulus. Although subsequently, as is generally the case in such matters, it had given out, being all washed away. But the second story he ridiculed, and said, you pretend that trees were created before earth? Well, I have been studying philosophy all this time, yet have never heard of the stars being created before the heaven. The inference he wished to convey was that nothing could be created as long as that in which it grows does not exist. Chapter 38 the ruler of Syria had plunged Antioch into a feud by disseminating among the citizens suspicions such that when they met in assembly they all quarreled with one another. But a violent earthquake happened to occur. They were all cowering, and, as is usual in the case of heavenly portents, praying for one another. Apollonius accordingly stepped forward and remarked, it is God who is clearly anxious to reconcile you to one another, and you will not revive the feuds since you cherish the same fears. And so he implanted in them a sense of what was to happen to them, 
and made each faction entertain the same fears as the other. Chapter 39 Here is another incident worth recording. A certain man was sacrificing to Mother Earth in hope of finding a treasure, and he did not hesitate to offer a prayer to Apollonius with that intent. He, perceiving what he was after, said, I see that you are terribly fond of filthy lucre. Nay, I am a poor devil, remarked the other, that have nothing except a few pence, and not enough to feed my family. You seem, said the other, to keep a large household of idle servants, nor do you yourself appear to be wanting in wits. But the man shed a quiet tear, and answered, I have four daughters who want four dowries, and, when my daughters have had their dowries assigned to them, my capital, which is now only twenty thousand drachmas, will have vanished, and they will think that I have got all too little while I shall perish because I shall have nothing at all. Therefore Apollonius took compassion on him, and said, We will provide for you, myself and Mother Earth, for I hear that you are sacrificing to her. With these words he conducted the man into the suburbs, as if he were going to buy some fruit. But there he saw an estate planted with olive trees, and being delighted with the trees, for they were very good ones, and well grown, and there was also a little garden in the place, in which he saw beehives and flowers, he went on into the garden, as if he had some important business to examine into, and then, having put up a prayer to Pandora, he returned to the city. Then he proceeded to the owner of the field, who had amassed a fortune in the most unrighteous manner, by informing against the estates of Phoenicians, and said, For how much did you purchase such and such an estate? And how much labor have you spent upon it? The other replied that he had bought the estate a year before for the sum of fifteen thousand drachmas, but that as yet he had spent no labor upon it. Whereupon Apollonius persuaded him to sell it to him for twenty thousand drachmas, which he did, esteeming the five thousand to be a great windfall. Now, the man who wanted to find the treasure did not in the least understand the gift that was made him. Indeed, he hardly considered it a fair bargain for himself, and all the worse a bargain, because, whereas he might have kept the twenty thousand drachmas that he had in hand, he now reflected that the estate which he purchased for the sum might suffer from frost and hailstorms and from other influences ruinous to the crops. But when he found a jar almost at once in the field containing three thousand darics, close by the beehive in the little garden, and when he got a very large yield from the olive trees, when everywhere else the crops had failed, he began to hymn the praises of the sage, and his house was crowded with suitors for the hands of his daughters, urging their suits upon him. Chapter 40 Here is another story which I came upon about Apollonius, and which deserves to be put upon record. There was a man who was in love with a nude statue of Aphrodite, which is erected in the island of Nidus, 
and he was making offerings to it, and said that he would make yet others with a view to marrying the statue. But Apollonius, though on other grounds he thought his conduct absurd, yet as the islanders were not adverse to the idea, but said that the fame of the goddess would be greatly enhanced if she had a lover, determined to purge the temple of all this nonsense, and when the Nydians asked him if he would reform their system of sacrifice or their litanies in any way, he replied, I will reform your eyes, but let the ancestral service of your temple continue as it is. Accordingly, he called to him the languished lover, and asked him if he believed in the existence of gods, and when he replied that he believed in their existence so firmly that he was actually in love with them, and mentioned a marriage with one of them which he hoped to celebrate shortly, Apollonius replied, The poets have turned your poor head by their talk of unions with Anchises and Peleus, and other heroes with goddesses. But I know this much about loving and being loved. Gods fall in love with gods, and human beings with human beings, and animals with animals, and in a word, like with like, and they have true issue of their own kind. But when two beings of different kinds contract a union, there is no true marriage or love, and if you only would bear in mind the fate of Ixion, you would never have dreamed of falling in love with beings so much above you. For he, you remember, is bent and stretched across the heavens like a wheel, and you, unless you get out of this shrine, will perish wherever you are upon earth. Nor will you be able to say that the gods have been unjust in their sentence upon you. Thus, he put a stop to this mad freak, and the man went away who said he was in love, after sacrificing in order to gain forgiveness. Chapter 41 At one time the cities on the left side of the Hellespont were visited by earthquakes, and Egyptians and Chaldeans went begging about through them to collect money, pretending that they wanted ten talents with which to offer sacrifices to earth and to Poseidon and the cities began to contribute under the stress of fear, partly out of their common funds, and partly out of private. But the impostors refused to offer the sacrifices in behalf of their dupes, unless the money was deposited in the banks. Now the sage determined not to allow the people of the Hellespont to be imposed upon, so he visited their cities and drove out the quacks who were making money out of the misfortunes of others. And then he divined the causes of the supernatural wrath, and by making such offerings as suited each case, averted the visitation at small cost, and the land was at rest. Chapter 42 The emperor Domitian, about the same time, passed a law against making men eunuchs, and against planting fresh vineyards, and also in favor of cutting down vineyards already planted. Whereon, Apollonius, who was visiting the Ionians, remarked, These rescripts do not concern me, for I, alone perhaps of mankind, require neither to beget my kind nor to drink wine, 
but our egregious sovereign seems not aware that he is sparing mankind while he eunuchizes the earth this witticism emboldened the ionians to send a deputation to the emperor in behalf of their vines and ask for a repeal of the law which ordered the earth to be laid waste and not planted chapter forty three here too is a story which they tell of him in tarsus a mad dog had attacked a lad and as a result of the bite the lad behaved exactly like a dog for he barked and howled and went on all four feet using his hands as such and ran about in that manner and he had been ill in this way for thirty days when apollonius who had recently come to tarsus met him and ordered him to look for the dog which had done the harm but they said that the dog had not been found because the youth had been attacked outside the wall when he was practicing with javelins nor could they learn from the patient what the dog was like for he did not even know himself any more then apollonius reflected for a moment and said o damis the dog is a white shaggy sheep-dog as big as an amphilochian hound and he is standing at a certain fountain trembling all over for he is longing to drink the water but at the same time is afraid of it bring him to me to the bank of the river where there are the wrestling grounds merely telling him that it is i who call him so damis dragged the dog along and it crouched at the feet of apollonius crying out as a suppliant might do before an altar but he quite tamed it by stroking it with his hand and then he stood by the lad close by holding him with his hand and in order that the multitude might be cognizant of so great a mystery he said the soul of telephus of mysia has been transferred into this boy and the fates impose the same things upon him as upon telephus and with these words he bade the dog lick the wound all round where he had bitten the boy so that the agent of the wound might in turn be its physician and healer after that the boy returned to his father and recognized his mother and saluted his comrades as before and drank of the waters of the sidness nor did the sage neglect the dog either but after offering a prayer to the river he sent the dog across it and when the dog had crossed the river he took his stand on the opposite bank and began to bark a thing which mad dogs rarely do and he folded back his ears and wagged his tail because he knew that he was all right again for a draught of water cures a mad dog if he has only the courage to take it such were the exploits of our sage in behalf of both temples and cities such were the discourses he delivered to the public or in behalf of different communities and in behalf of those who were dead or who were sick and such were the harangues he delivered to wise and unwise alike and to the sovereigns who consulted him about moral virtue end of volume two book six chapters thirty one through forty three